you are tuned into our worship service at Friendship Baptist Church in Mont Alban, Texas. We believe God desires to meet you right now in the hearing of His Word. We are a small town church, but we're seeing a big size God, and we are excited for you to be a part of it today.
Praise the Lord, church. Good morning. Y'all be seated. Y'all don't even need me to tell you anymore, do you? You just seat. You're like trained dogs. Sit. Stand. I didn't. Did I just say that? I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Now, praise the Lord. We're in here to worship the Lord this morning, and what a blessing. I always just am reminded as I stand up here at the beginning of every Sunday morning, what a blessing it is to be with brothers and sisters in Christ, to have a family of God that comes together to lift up the name of Jesus. And so praise God for that this morning. Y'all pray with me. Father, we love you, Lord. We're so grateful, Lord Jesus. Father, we are expecting you to move this morning. God, to move within our body, God, that you've called to be here today. God, I pray that we would experience the love of Christ, the grace of Christ. Lord, I pray that the person that's sitting in this place right now, Lord Jesus, Lord, I pray that this very moment would be a time that they see you and come to know you deeper. God, may it be so. May it not just be us here just because we want to be here or we've brought ourselves here, but may it be because the God Almighty has called us here and that we desire to lift up the name of Jesus. Father, for one that may be here that doesn't know um, just what they believe yet, that's on the fence of, of this whole Jesus thing, this whole idea of church, and may just be sitting here, God, I just pray right now, Lord, that you would grab a hold of their heart and not let go. God, I pray right this moment that we would experience you, Lord. Lord, I pray for for the ones that are hurting in our body, our brothers and sisters that are grieving today, Lord. I lift them up that you would just meet with them specially, Lord. Lord, I pray for Lonnie Satterwhite, God, and as he's trying to find a place to go as he gets out of the hospital. I know it's burdening him, Lord, burdening his family, and God, it's heavy, and I just pray for their family right now, Lord. Lord, I pray that you would open up a place for Lonnie to be able to go to, Lord. God, would you just help them in this time of need it tells us that we can go boldly before the throne of grace lord and you'll meet us in a time of need and there's so many here with so many needs lord and so i pray that in this time in this perfect time lord that your grace and mercy would meet us god may it be may it be as we're here to worship would you just do as you please as you will and we're along for the ride lord in the name of christ we pray amen Sing the wondrous love of Jesus. Sing His mercy and His grace. In the mansions, right and blessed, He'll prepare us a place. When we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. When we all see Jesus, we'll sing. Victory onward to the prize before us. Soon his beauty will behold. Soon the pearly gates will open. We shall tread the streets of gold. When we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. When we all see Jesus. We have a few announcements today. Um, This coming Saturday, September 16th, we have our ladies' luncheon. It'll be at the Bradford Cafe. That'll be 1130 to 130. So ladies, if you hadn't been able to go to a ladies' luncheon, you're missing out. So y'all go to one of these ladies' luncheons, get to know some of our ladies, and, and be loved on. That'll be next Saturday. Also, on that Saturday, the September 16th, we have the Skiles and Conrad wedding shower. And so looking forward to being able to bless them. That'll be from 3 to 5 here at the church. And so 3 to 5 next Saturday here at the church. Love to um, just love on them as they're starting their marriage. And what a blessing. Y'all remember when you were married 35 years ago when you, you didn't know she was a dragon then, did you? 35 years ago. I'm just kidding, Lizzie. I love you. I love you. And so let's bless the Skiles and Conrad as they're uh, um, getting married and preparing for that. That's love on them. We have Lance Satterwhite's ordination. That's next Sunday night. So that's September 17th. I said Sunday night. It's really 3 o'clock Sunday afternoon. 
So 3 o'clock next Sunday, we won't have evening service. Y'all come and be a part of ordaining Lance. It's the church that ordains. It's always the church that's really the ones laying hands. I know we have the ordained deacons that lay hands and send them out, but it's the church through the authority of the church that happens. And so I just want to remind you, you play a part in that, and what a blessing it is to be able to lay hands on him and to pray for Cassie as they're starting this um, journey, that they're continuing this journey, I should say, in the ministry. But God's got some things that he's stirring up, and we're just going to pray over that as well. And so... Y'all come to that. See, the DTBA, that's the Dogwood Trails Baptist Association annual meeting and training. That's September 30th, so a couple Saturdays from now. And it'll be from 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. Lunch will be provided. I'll be leading a small group on how to have a small church with big vision. A small church with big vision. And there'll be a bunch of other small groups as well, different trainings and things. And so looking forward to what God's going to do with all of our churches. It's a good way for you to get to know some of your brothers and sisters in Christ that go to a different church in our association. And so would love for you to come and be a part of that. Experience God, a revival at the Anderson County Youth Livestock Association building there in Palestine. That's October 1st through the 4th. And so um, we had a sweet prayer time. I just felt the spirit uh, just so, so powerful on Sunday night when we prayed for for this revival. And y'all, we're going to be having some signs. I have them come in. If you have a prevalent place where you have a, a, um, like a, some land where people are driving by, y'all hold on. I want to pray for Dustin. If y'all have a place where you're driving by and um, you're able to, to put a sign out, let me know and I'll get you a sign so, you, so they can see the experience of God. We stand and worship with us. I carry the Oh, 
Father, I thank you, Lord. I thank you for being a good heavenly father. God, and I pray that as these are here today, including myself, that we would run towards you and fall into your grace today, God. Lord, my prayer is is that we'd recognize your goodness as our father. Lord, the scripture tells us that if the child's hungry, you wouldn't give a stone. God, Lord, this picture of even if an earthly father wants to be good and give a good gift, how much more so would our heavenly father give a good gift? And so, Lord, as we run towards you today, may it be that we receive the greatest gift, which is your mercy and grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Y'all may be seated. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. You can turn your Bibles to Exodus chapter 20. That's where we're picking up today. We had a little break last week with Dwayne preaching, and then now we're back into Exodus. We walked through Exodus 19 two weeks ago, this picture of God calling his people to meet with him. He says, I'm going to meet you in three days. Prepare yourself. And so just to remind you where we are in the Exodus passage, they come to Mount Sinai, and they come to meet God, God Almighty. What a blessing, what a privilege to meet God and his presence to be made known. In fact, me and you get to experience that blessing today. Y'all realize that, don't you? When his presence falls and he makes himself manifest in a body of believers, what great blessing it is to have the presence of God amongst us. Amen? So today, I want to talk to you about the Big Ten. The Big Ten. Now, growing up, you would hear these words, Big Ten, a lot. It was a big deal to us. We talked about the Big Ten quite often. In fact, oftentimes we would be in a living room together, and we'd all be in that living room, and it got very passionate. It was a very serious thing. Lots of passion, lots of excitement came to us when we talked about the Big Ten. In fact, we'd talk about it for days. I'd go to school and I'd talk to my friends about it. And we would go to my grandma's and I'd talk to grandma about it. We would talk about it to coworkers, anyone else. We would talk about the Big Ten. Even the news would talk about the Big Ten. And there was loyalty when it came to the Big Ten. You wanted to participate within the Big Ten and be faithful to the Big Ten. Now many of y'all may be thinking I'm talking about something spiritual, but I'm not. If you remember where I grew up in Indiana, I'm talking about the greatest basketball conference ever. Really, it's the greatest conference of sports, right? The Big Ten Conference. Y'all, come on now. Come on. I'm talking about teams like Purdue and Ohio State and Wisconsin and Michigan. It was the Big Ten. I grew up in Indiana. The greatest team of all, IU, Indiana University, Bobby Knight. It wasn't basketball if a chair wasn't thrown across the floor. Y'all with me, right? Okay, good. I, I, hoping, I mean, it's the oldest Division I collegiate conference in the U.S. before the NCAA. It was a big deal to us. It was big in our neck of the woods. But what I want to talk to you about today is another Big Ten. You see, I understood the Big Ten conference pretty well, but there's another Big Ten, the Big Ten commandments, that I didn't understand quite well as a kid. I would hear about them, 
I would see them at school even. I knew that they were in like state buildings and different things, that they would have the Ten Commandments. I thought about those plaques, you know, the, the stones where God's finger inscribed these words into stones. I knew it was special. I knew it was a big deal that these Ten Commandments are a really big deal, but I didn't really understand them. I knew they were good rules that God gave us. I didn't understand why these rules were more important than the rules that told us not to eat bacon. It's like, we obviously eat our fair share of bacon. Why do we have to hold to these? They're in the same section. I mean, they're, they're coming up right after each other. I remember someone telling me as a kid, I was little bitty, little kid, but old enough to understand them. I say little bitty, I was probably like eight or nine or something. And they told me these were the rules that you're not allowed to break. These Ten Commandments are the rules that you're not allowed to break. If you want to go to heaven, don't you break one of the Ten Commandments. As a kid, I thought I had done ruined it, y'all. By that time, I'd already sneaked a candy bar in my pocket at a grocery store. I'd said God's name in vain. I dishonored my parents, and I'd coveted my brother's Nintendo 64. And I had no clue what a Sabbath was. If I was to hold to these Ten Commandments, I was in trouble. But wait a second. Even Jesus said that these commandments were true, that we should hold and keep the commandments. In fact, not only are you not to commit murder, but if you're angry with your brother, then you've already committed murder. You're charged of the same judgment with your heart. If you're angry with your brother, he says, in fact, don't use the sacrifice now. He says, leave the sacrifice at the altar. Go and fix it with your brother and then come back. And then right after that, Jesus says, oh yeah, and the whole idea about not committing adultery, if you've looked lustfully upon another woman, then you've committed adultery in your heart. Whew. Okay, now, I knew that I had no chance when it came to these Ten Commandments if I was to understand them the way that they were shared to me. And so this morning, I thought maybe as we're going through the Exodus story here, as we get to these Ten Commandments inscribed by the finger of God, Maybe it's something that God will help us understand just a little bit more. So, Father, we just come before you, Lord. And I pray that as we open up these Ten Commandments, Lord, the Big Ten, God, you give us understanding. God, give us, give us knowledge of your word and, and give us clarity, God. Move in our hearts and show us, show us the reality of what you're doing through this passage, what you, what you did with the Israelites, but what you desire to do with us today. Do they pertain to us, Lord? How do they pertain to us, God? God, make them real. Bring us to honesty with them. And bring us to obedience. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. So Exodus chapter 20, and the reason we call it the Ten Commandments is later Moses is going to call them the Ten Words. And so they get kind of changed into just the Ten Commandments over time. That's just what they are, the Ten Words, the, the Decalogue, the Ten Words from the Lord that he inscribed in stone. And so we have the Ten Commandments here, but they're just part of a greater body of law. In fact, does anybody know how many laws there were for the Jewish people? 613, y'all got it, 613. Can you imagine? I mean, I had this little home rules with five rules, and I broke them every day. Can you imagine 613 rules that they had? And so, so this is part of that larger body. And next week, we're actually going to look, because we're going to kind of walk through this through Exodus, and we're going to look at the whole general idea and purpose of the law. What's the purpose? What's the whole thing with the law? And so next week, we're going to look more specifically at that. But this week, as we look at these first 10, it's said that these 10 commandments can be a summary of what all human conduct consists of. In fact, they say religion Worship, reverence, time, authority, life, purity, property, tongue, and commitment are all dealt with right here in the Ten Commandments. The very thing that, that makes up human conduct right here in the Ten Commandments. So the first point I have for us today is God gave us these Ten Commandments out of his goodness. Just like I was sharing with the kids, we've got to get the foundation right. Before we look at these, we've got to understand them as something God gives out of his goodness to us. He is good in giving us his law. He is good in giving us the Ten Commandments. And so, if you're in chapter 20 of Exodus, say amen. 
Verse 1, and God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of bondage. So the first thing we see here as we start in the passage is, is that we have a God who has authority and the right to give us commandments. You know, we struggle sometimes with this when somebody tells us to do something. You know what a kid always says at school when, when the teacher tells them to do something? You ain't my mama. Right? Have you heard it before? You ain't my mama. Because my mama has the authority to tell me what to do. Right? They understand that little small concept of authority. Well, what gives God the right to give commands? Well, he's God. Right? He's our creator. He's the one that created us. And he's not just God. He's our God. We see him say right off the beginning here, he says, I am the Lord your God. Basically, literally, he says, I am who I am which was what God revealed to Moses at the burning bush. We read that many weeks ago. And God says, I am. I am who I am. This is how God revealed himself. All authority belongs to him. He is God. And not only God, but our God. He says, the Lord, your God. He says, you are mine. And I am yours. And I have claimed you. And you are to follow me. And here's how you are to follow me. Follow me. And I'm going to tell you how. Here's how you do it. God spoke all these words. Did you catch that? God spoke. And I love this because you all remember chapter 19. We just read it two weeks ago. And this power of God in the presence of God, lightning and thunder and all the other that you could imagine, just all just erupting right here in this place as they met with the presence of God. And now we have God speaking. Now, anytime God speaks, we should pause. Because the power of the word of God is just mind-blowing. In fact, we realize that he created the entire world through what? Through speaking. By the speaking of his word, the whole world comes into existence. So when he speaks, may we listen. In fact, Jesus, John describes Jesus as when he comes, he says, The word became what? Flesh. The word became flesh. This spoken word of God is so important. He says, God spoke all these things. And he says, I'm the one who brought you out of Egypt and out of the house of bondage. I love the imagery here. Out of Egypt. In other words, out of the house of bondage. You were slaves. And I brought you from it. You were bonded. You were bound by, by, by the slavery, the Egyptians, and I freed you from it. I brought you out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. See, these words that we're about to read here, the Ten Commandments, come not to, one, not to people who are to remain slaved, but to people who are freed. You see that? picture the freedom that we have we think of it in the wrong way at times we think if we're free then we can do whatever we want we have this freedom but then life just goes out of control just like I was showing the kids but true freedom is when God puts parameters in your life to serve and worship him that there is no more time that I feel more free than when I'm in the center of God's will are you with me church and so when you think of the Ten Commandments, don't think of them as, as this restriction on you. It is God freeing you from bondage. It is God giving his blessing out of his goodness. But what happens if we look at these laws apart from Christ, they do just that. They put you back into bondage. And we're going to look at this more deeper next week. But this fact, I, I want us to get this at least at the beginning here, is when we look at it apart from Christ, we just put on another bondage. In fact, that's how Peter says it in Acts 15. He says, now therefore, why do we test God? He's talking about the Gentiles coming in and what they must do. Should they follow the law? He says, why should we test God? He says, why do we test God? By putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor us are able to bear. Peter says, why are we trying to weigh them down with the bondage of the law that we can't even hold ourselves? And then you have Paul in Galatians. He says, but before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law. The sense of being guarded, this law that kept us. And, and he says, but kept for the faith which would afterward be revealed. And so we're going to see this picture of God giving us something out of his goodness that points us not to it in itself, but points us to Christ. 
where true freedom comes. You see, that's the beautiful picture of the law. In fact, the Bible calls the law a tutor. It tutors us. It points us to Jesus. And so these Ten Commandments are part of God's plan to bring us to a place of worship. In fact, that was the whole point. You remember when God told Pharaoh to let my people go? You remember what he said after that? He said, let my people go so that they may worship me. They may serve me and worship me. And now God says, you're freed from the house of Egypt. You're freed from the house of bondage so that you can now worship me. Here's how. Here's how. Given to us for our good. Let's look at them. The first commandment, and, and, and I kind of summarize them, this abundant life through worship of the only right and true God. Abundant life through the worship of the only right and true God. Look at it in verse 3. If you're there, say amen. It says, you shall have no other gods before me. Do you hear God's goodness here? Have no other gods before me. I mean, here God is saying, he's showing us his protection here. He says, don't waste your life by putting anything else before me. Put me first. It's for your good. Put me first. Don't, put, don't waste it with anything else. Have abundant life and purpose by worshiping me only. The second commandment, the supernatural love in the right way. Worship in the right way. Look at verse 4. If you're there, say amen. You shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing mercy, steadfast love to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. You see, again, God's goodness is revealed here. He, he's telling us this picture of, of knowing that worship's more than an outward practice. Worship is more described better maybe as, as who you prescribe your love toward. The greatest love. Who you prescribe your greatest love to. Do you prescribe your greatest love to me? That's worship. Not these idols and these images. And how we worship is important. Remember, he says, let my people go so they may worship me. He says, now here's how you worship me. I'm telling you how. Worship me this way. Y'all have kids and grandkids, amen? Y'all ever had that moment where you're telling them, especially around five years old, that's my experience right now. You tell them to go do something and they start negotiating with you how they're going to do it. It was really funny, kind of comical yesterday. JC's putting stuff around the house, decorating the house. She loves decorating because her mom's a big decorator, loves decorating. And mom finally had to say, listen, I'm the woman of this house and I decorate it. <laughs> Woo! I walked into the other room. No, she, she had to tell her, like, there's no negotiation here. When we're talking about God, how dare us negotiate with how we are to worship him? He says, worship me this way. We don't get to say, no, I want to worship you this way, God. And right now, we have this movement in the churches that's very scary and a very dangerous movement, in my opinion. And it's a great danger. And it's this picture that we can worship God however we best connect with worshiping God. That you just do whatever makes you um, feel the closest to God. And, and, and if it makes you feel close to God, then good. But do you see the danger in that? I, I know where it comes from. I get the idea. I, I get that we shouldn't be legalistic in how we worship in the sense of it's strict in this way and you sit and you don't raise your hands. Are you with me? I understand where this thought can come from. But if we're not careful, it goes to the other side of the extreme. And what it does is says, I can worship God however I feel like worshiping God. When God clearly says, worship me this way way in fact worship me according to my word in ephesians paul explained it this way be filled with the spirit speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs singing and making melody in your heart to the lord giving thanks always for all things to god the father in the name of our lord jesus christ submitting to one another in the fear of god worship me that way submit your heart before me sing songs 
give thanks to me, for God is a jealous God. And what's amazing about this passage is not only is he jealous, but he's jealous of you and your descendants. And I love that at, our, at a friendship, we're really pushing this idea of generations and the generations and the faithfulness of God to our generations. And, and what, what do we have if we're gone and the generation below us didn't get it? Amen? And so we have this push of generations, and we see here in Scripture, God has a heart for the generations. He's jealous towards you and your descendants and their descendants and their descendants and their descendants. He's jealous over their worship, that they would worship him alone in the way he desires to be worshipped. And he says, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the third and fourth generation. That's a hard thing to swallow. But it's something I see as a pastor over and over and over again. When I see an alcoholic dad, and I see their child come up, and when they get about 22, 23 years old, or even way before then, like my brother, at 14, 15 years old, you know what happens? Very quickly, they turn into an alcoholic. You know what happens with the grandson? It seems like it's just hard to get out of the family or abuse or anything. And I'm not saying it's a set rule. You may have had an alcoholic father and it completely turns you away. And I I get that by the grace of God. Praise the Lord. But the reality is still the same. Is your sins affect your grandchildren and your grandchildren and your grandchildren's grandchildren. That iniquity is shown. But it says to the third or fourth generation. But here's what God says. He says, but follow me. Keep my commandments. Worship me and me alone in the way I've called you to worship me. What happens? It says God will show his his steadfast love, his mercy to you for thousands of generations. Your sin may mess up a third or fourth generation, but for thousands, your faithfulness will affect because of God's grace. Man, doesn't that give you hope? Am I the only one that gives hope to? Does it give you hope, church? To know that his mercies better than my sin and my sin abounds his mercies more the third commandment protecting the reverence of god in an irreverent world look at verse seven if you're there say amen you shall not take the name of the lord your god in vain for the lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain my thought on this is we live in a world that just about takes nothing serious We live in a world where there's nothing of extreme importance, really. Everything's just kind of relevant. And there's nothing really important, nothing we hold sacred anymore, nothing we hold to be holy. And God says, I am to be taken serious, and my name is to be taken serious. It's to be revered, to be made holy and kept holy holy how you talk about God how you consider God how you think of God is the most important thing in your entire life God says take it serious don't do it in vain don't do it in vain again uh, JC's not in here so I can give all the illustrations every Sunday every time I use her name she says daddy can't believe you told him you know she comes home from school especially early on and Y'all probably have heard this many times too, and she'll say, oh my God, oh my God, look at this, or oh my God, look at that, or oh my God, can you believe this happened? And over and over again, she says, oh my God. And now the reality is, she's just repeating what she's heard, right? I mean, the reality is, is she's not intentionally meaning anything against the name of God, against God's name when she says that over and over and over again. But that is the point to me. When you use the name of God... May it be something revered and made holy and not done meaninglessly. And when you look at a pizza and say, oh my God, this looks so good. To me, that is the most meaningless way you can use God's name. Are you with me? And so, it's not just the GD and all the things that we talk about a lot of times. And and again, that's a huge thing. Don't use his name in vain. Don't curse his name for sure. But I think it goes deeper than that. Don't use it in vain. Don't use it meaninglessly. Keep it holy. Keep it revered. The fourth commandment. Don't forget holy rest. Look at verse 8 with me. If you're there, say amen. Actually, I never read the scripture for verse 18. So go back to verse 18 and say amen. I wanted to tie this in because it's the end. After he gives the Ten Commandments, it goes to verse 18, and it shows how they respond. Because I think when we revere the name of God, it helps us flee from sin. And I want to show you this in verse 18. Say amen. We'll make sure you're there. Now all the people witnessed the thunderings, the lightning flashes, the sound of the trumpet, and the mountain smoking. When the people saw it, they trembled and stood afar off. 
And then they said to Moses, you speak with us and we will hear, but let not God speak with us lest we die. And Moses said to the people, do not fear, for God has come to test you and that his fear may be before you so that you may not, what? Sin. So the people stood afar off, but Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. He says, don't use my name in vain. And afterwards, right here at the end of the Ten Commandments, it says that there was so much going on that they feared God. And Moses says, don't be afraid. But the fear of God is a good thing. It's set before you for a reason. And why? So that you may not sin. Do you want help fleeing from sin? Start revering the name of God just a little more. And the more you think of God and how holy and perfect he is, the more it helps a strayed heart flee from sin and run back to him. The fourth commandment, go back to verse 8 now. The fourth commandment, don't forget holy rest. In verse 8 it says this, Remember the Sabbath day, keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do not... You shall do no work, you nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. Did you get the point? None of you do any work. Verse 11, for in six days the Lord made heaven and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Today, therefore, their Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. The word Sabbath literally comes from the Hebrew word that means rest. It's, it's really saying rest day, this rest, this holy rest. Keep it holy. Just as God rested on the seventh day when he created the world, keep it holy. He reminds us that the Sabbath is a good thing for us. This is not a restraint. This is not a sense of him saying, I, I, I want to put another rule on you to hold you bondage. No, Jesus clears that up. He says the Sabbath was not made for, or he says man was not made for the Sabbath, but the Sabbath was made for man. It's for our good. I was reading something yesterday, and it was talking about an organ trail and this Jewish group that was going to the organ, and they were traveling. They had their donkeys and their wagons and all the things, and they got in a huge dispute because winter was coming, and they said, we can't keep journeying on the Sabbath. It says don't work on the Sabbath, so we need to rest on the Sabbath. And the other half was like, no, this winter is going to catch up. We've got to go seven days a week and get to Oregon. So they split. One group went seven days a week to get to Oregon. The other group took the Sabbath day and rested and then went six days a week. You know who made it to Oregon first? The six days, the one who rested because the mules and the people were rested and were able to make much more progress every day than the other crew. And, and, and I just share that story because it's for our good that God has given us his law. It's for our good. And then we're going to see ultimately as it points to Christ. So, holy rest the fifth commandment, honoring our father and mother. Kids, if you're in verse 12, say amen. Kids, if you're listening, say amen. Okay, there we go. It says, honor your father and your mother that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God is giving you. Paul actually calls this verse, he says, this is the first command with promise. It says, obey, honor not just obey, but honor your father and mother, and the Lord will give you a long journey, a long journey here upon the land he has given you. And, and, I, and I think what God's getting at here is he blesses obedience. He blesses obedience. When you obey God, there's blessings. And I'm not saying that life is easy and that it will be perfect and smooth, but there's no doubt a blessing of sweet joy and contentment in Christ, knowing that he is yours and you are his no matter what your circumstances are, there's blessings. The sixth commandment, sanctity of life. It says in verse 13, you shall not murder. It not only gives order to the people. I mean, you imagine a people with no laws and giving them order. But it shows the importance of life, too, that life is a blessing. The seventh commandment, verse tw or chapter 20, verse 14, says you shall not commit adultery. This idea of sexual purity. And this is so important in our world. Man, it's so important. If you want to know how sin can get so rooted and entangled in your life, look at sexual impurity. I mean, I'm serious. If you want to think about something that gets so rooted and so deep and so dark so quick and can ruin so much, 
Look at sexual impurity. And I believe that's why Paul says in Thessalonians, he says, for the will of God, the very will of God, your sanctification is that you flee from sexual immorality. Flee from it. Don't be like the Gentiles, he says, where your passion is of lust, but possess your own vessel in sanctification and honor. God gives guidance for our good and clarity to a sexually confused world. Amen, church? Eighth commandment, gain possessions in a God-honoring way. You shall not, what? Steal. It says God's the provider. I'm the one that brings provision. Don't do it in a way that dishonors me. Let me provide. The ninth commandment, I'll honor the truth. Verse 16, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. And don't we long for this? Don't we long for a world where there's no lies? I tell you, a parent does. A pastor does. And I know you do too. Can you imagine a, a world with everything's real and not fake? Lies just make everything fake, make feelings fake. And then all the responses end up fake. It's almost like it's just all not even real when you think of all the lies that come into something. Can you imagine just a real world where truth was told and honored? No false accusations. It's for our good. The ninth commandment, honor the truth. Tenth commandment, contentment. Look at verse 17. If you're there, say amen. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his male servant, nor his female servant. And if it goes beyond that, not even his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Let's just think about it. What joy would we have if our desire was not on what we don't have, but rather our desire was on the one who gives all things? That's contentment. Not desiring what you don't have, but desiring him who gives all things. Therefore, our good, saved from the house of bondage, saved to this joyous and content and God-honoring, abundant life. And again, Jesus affirms these commandments. And that's the second point here is Jesus affirms God's commandments. If you look at chapter 5 of Matthew, verse 19, I got them on the screens if you don't want to flip there. It says, whoever therefore breaks one of these, the least of these commandments and teaches men, so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So now Jesus says, I affirm these commandments. In fact, if you break them, you're the least. It determines your place in the kingdom of heaven in a sense. He says, you're the least if you break them. But if you follow them and teach them, he says, then, then you're great in this great place of the kingdom of heaven. He's affirming that God's commands are good. And if you go back to chapter 22 of Matthew, there was a point where a lawyer asked Jesus a question. He says, Jesus, what's the great law? What's the great command? You remember what he says? He says the great command, the great and first command is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind. Love him with everything you have. This is the first and great command. He says, and the second is there like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. And he says, in fact, all of the law and the prophets... Hang on these two commands. So not only does he affirm it, but he really summarizes the whole thing into these two laws. Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. And all of it hinges on that. And if you look at the Ten Commandments, the first four really go under that. Love the Lord your God. And the last six, don't steal, don't bear false witness, goes into this, don't, or this idea of love your neighbor as yourself. It's all summed up right there. And so we have these commandments. Jesus confirms them. And shows that it's not just outward obedience, but inward obedience too. And then the last point that I have for us today is where it all comes to us. We've heard it. We've walked through it. We know it's for our good. But now here's the question that I have for us. Are we obedient? Because the third point we have for us is our obedience is a telltale sign of our love of God. Now this should wake us up a little bit. If you're listening, say, I'm listening. Is your obedience there? Because if it is, it shows your love for God. And if it's not, then it shows your lack of love for God. Wait a second. What are you saying? Well, I want to give you this discourse with Jesus and his disciples. 
And they're in the upper room, and they're about to walk to the Garden of Gethsemane. So they're about to leave the upper room. They're going to go to the Garden of Gethsemane. And that's where Jesus gets what? Arrested. And then he's going to take him, and then he's going to be put on the cross. And so he's ending his journey right here with his disciples. In fact, he's going to end it by saying, I'm not going to talk to you much more. So the last thing he shares in this room, sitting down with his disciples, this is John 14, by the way. The last thing he shares with these disciples before, he's going to share a little bit on his way to the Garden of Gethsemane, but this last moment of intentionality, here's what he says, chapter 14 of John, the Gospel, verse 15. I want you to just hear this. Hear it as if you're sitting in the room with Jesus. And there's Jesus before you, about to walk to the Garden of Gethsemane, where he says, your will, not my will, God. And here's the words he has for us. If you love me, Keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you a little while longer, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me because I live, and you will live also. And at that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not as a chariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus answered and said, if anyone loves me, He will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and he will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words, and the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while being present with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I've said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give it to you, but let your heart not be troubled, neither let it be afraid. You have heard me say to you, I am going away and coming back to you. If you loved me, you would rejoice because I'm going to the Father, for my Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it comes that when it does come to pass, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming, and he who has nothing in me. But that the world may know, listen, that the world may know that I love the Father, and the Father as the Father gave me commandment, so I do. Arise, let us go from here. Man, what sobering words from Jesus. Can you imagine him looking you in the eye right now and saying, if you love me, keep my commandments. In fact, you who love me and keep my commandments, it's you who the Father will love. And it's you who the Father will send. And I'll send the Holy Spirit upon you and I'll dwell in you and you and me and he'll make home in you. He who loves him will be loved by the Father. You see, this is how serious our obedience is. It's evidence of our love for God. Jesus says, what I'm about to do, the cross, what I'm about to do will show the world that I love my Father because he gave me the commandment, I'm going to do it. And Philippians says, he became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And Jesus says, through this they'll know that I love my Father. And here's the real miracle and the blessing of the gospel. If you're listening, say, I'm listening. In that, by grace, through faith, in Christ's obedience, he gives us the helper that will bring us into obedience. You see this in Ezekiel, in the very promise that's been made all through Scripture. When Ezekiel 36, it says, Then I will sprinkle clean water on you. And you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put my spirit within you. The very thing Jesus is promising to do. And I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. And you will keep my judgments and do them. 
You see, what greater blessing is there than a God who says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments, but who knows on our own we'll never be able to keep those commandments and says, I'm going to send you a helper, the Holy Spirit of God, who will give you a new heart and then the Spirit will reside in you and allow you to walk in His statutes, to be able to obey and keep His commandments. What greater blessing is there? That's the gospel, church. As you're listening this whole time, I'm sure you're like me and says, man, I fell at that commandment. I fell at that commandment, and I fell at that commandment, and I failed my entire life. But if you heard what I've just shared with you, then there's grace from God that says, yes, even though I failed through Christ's obedience and his obedience alone, he's given me life, an abundant life, through the spirit that now allows me to walk in obedience. But did you hear? That allows me to walk in obedience. If you're not walking in obedience, it's still true what Jesus says. You do not love him. Because those who love God, those who love him keep his commandments, which happens through the Spirit falling. And if you have no spirit within you, if the Holy Spirit has not fell on you and indwelt you because you've not repented and seen the grace of God, and he's not moved in your life and removed those blinders and you've said, yes, Lord, I see, I agree, Lord, you are good, and I'm rotten, oh, wretched man that I am, who will save me? But thank you, God, the merciful one. And through that, he sends the Spirit and makes a new heart that obeys him. And so my question as we end today, are you obedient? Are you obedient? Let the Spirit look at your heart. Am I obeying God right now? And there's one of two options here. One of two answers. One answer is I know I'm not obedient and he's been chastising me and pushing me and lovingly disciplining me every step of the way to get me back to obedience. That's part of the spirit will cause you to walk in his statutes. And you get you on your knees and you say, Lord, forgive me. I'm so sorry. Thank you for bringing me to this place of seeing that I need to obey you. But the other option, the other answer is you're not obedient because you have no spirit in you because you've not responded to the gospel that's just been proclaimed to you. And you're walking in rebellion against God. And the truth is, is you don't even really desire to be obedient. God forbid that be the case today. May his spirit reach your heart today and open your eyes to say, I want to be obedient. And it's only through you I will be. Father, we love you. I just pray, Lord Jesus, that right now, God, as we're all sitting in this place, God, that you would move in such a time as this, Lord, to show us the true evidence of our salvation. Lord, show us the obedience in our life. Remind us, not in an arrogant way, but, but in a, a humble way where, where we just thank God that, that we've been able to follow you and, 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 and rejoice in, in the fact of you moving in and through us, Lord. But Father, I just pray if there's a place where this evidence is not there, there is no evidence of salvation, there is no obedience, Lord. Father, would you confirm with them right now where they are? Whether they're lost and will face hell. God, may it not be. May it be that right now you would open their eyes and their heart and they say, I just want you, God. I want you and you alone. I'm sorry, Lord. I'm a sinner. And Lord, through your grace, you're going to allow me to turn from this sin and turn toward you. I see it now. I see it. I want to run to the Father now. I want to run to you, God, and fall into your grace because it's only by your grace that I'll ever be embraced by you. So Lord, may we deal with our own hearts today with this question. Are we obedient? And Lord, at this altar today, would you bring us to a place of obedience by your grace? In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening today. And we trust that you were blessed by an almighty God that loves you. Friendship loves you as well. And if you would like to talk to someone, please call the church at 903-549-2542. Again, that is 903-549-2542. 2542. God bless you.